Please turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're, we're going to be just slightly out of order the next couple of weeks, but we are not skipping anything. Uh, we will come back to some things that we passed over in the next couple of weeks. Right now, we're skipping ahead to Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. As with many parts of the Sermon on the Mount, it is also very famous, very well known. And let's read this together. I'll read it for us. This is Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. You can follow along with me. This again is the word of the Lord. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? What a wonderful passage. Let's bow our heads together and pray again briefly. Heavenly Father, what an amazing command we are given in this text. We are told by Jesus that you care about your people, that you want us like a child, like a son with his father to come and to ask you for what we need. And most importantly, we need you. And so, God, we are, we are attempting to obey this passage even now. As I hope all of us, even in our hearts, say, Lord, we want more of you. We want more of Christ. Christ is the balm for every sorrow. He is the remedy for every need. He is the cure for all anxiety and care and depression and discouragement. All those things can be dealt with in the presence of of the triune God. So God, I pray that we would come eager because we are prompted by your very words to ask, to seek, to knock. You have thrown open a door of mercy and invitation that we dare not neglect. God, I pray that you would not make us feel guilt today, mainly about failure to pray, although we do need to feel that probably. I pray that you would help us to feel a rush of excitement and joy that you are willing to listen to us, that you are willing to draw near to us when we draw near to you. What an astonishing truth. God, I pray that you would make this real to us and that we would begin to make improvements in the area of prayer in all of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus says it over and over to make the one single point clear, right? Ask, seek, knock. He did not need to give us all three of those metaphors. He could have just said, ask, and it will be given. And that could have been the whole sermon text. 
right? It would have been sufficient. We would have had all we needed to know. Jesus said, ask, and it will be given. That's all we need to know. So why does Jesus add metaphor on top of metaphor? Ask, and you will, excuse me, yeah, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. If you look at verses 7 and 8, six times Jesus is encouraging us to come before the Father's presence. Look at it. Let's just count them together. It's obvious, but let's just see it for the sake of seeing it clearly. Verse 7, ask, number one, and it will be given to you. Number two, seek, and you will find. Number three, knock, and it will be opened. Number four, for everyone who asks, receives. And number five, the one who seeks, finds. And number six, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Let's continue again. Or which one of you, if his son asks for him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, here's the seventh encouragement, how much more Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So, six times in two verses, Jesus says, please come to the Father and pray. And then He adds an illustration and gives a seventh encouragement. Jesus is saying, listen, I know how prone you are and I am. Not Jesus, me. <laughs> Let me be clear. Jesus is not prone to sin here. I am, not, not Him. But Jesus says, He knows how much we are prone to be self-sufficient and self-assured, and we can work this thing out, right? We just need our schedule to be a little bit tighter, spend a little more time on these issues, and we can fix things. We're Americans. Wait, we can do this. That's kind of our mindset. Pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can do this. And Jesus says, you don't even realize how much you need help. Do you even know how much you need your Father? You're like the ignorant, loved child who is doing foolish things, not knowing that the Father's strength and help is right nearby. So what does Jesus do? He gives us seven encouragements in a brief text, seven to say, see how weak you are, see how much the Father loves you, and go to Him. Ask Him. Seek from Him. Knock. Here's the point. Do you ever think of God as begrudging in his giving of good things. You know, begrudging, sort of ill-tempered, you got to convince me, I don't really like you right now, that kind of demeanor. Is that how we think of God sometimes? If we are in Christ and we come to God humbly in Jesus' name, you got to understand this. The Father in heaven is not a begrudging giver of good things. That's amazing. The Father delights to give good things to His children. We are slow to ask, but God is not slow to give good things. And Jesus knows our hesitancy. And so He just puts reason on top of reason to say, listen, I'm not kidding. The Father loves you. He cares for you. And you can bring all on your heart and mind into the Father's presence. And He wants you to. He delights when you do so. I want to say something very clearly. Without, any, without in any way denying the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, hear, hear me on this. For those of you who love the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, I hope that's all of us in this room. The God is good and He's in control. Listen, our prayer makes real differences in this world. Our prayers make real differences in this world. Now, if you want to get technical and theological, I'll just slip this in and I'll say, our prayers are ultimately part of God's sovereign and ultimate plan. 
Okay, they don't catch God off guard. But our prayers make real differences and real impacts in this world, both internally in our hearts and externally for others. James 4.2 famously says, you do not have because you do not ask. In other words, there are things that God would have given us had we asked in the right way, but we're not given because we did not ask. And that's all ultimately part of God's good plan, and He works all these things for our good, but it doesn't change the fact that our prayers really make a difference in this world. They really do. Prayer actually affects us internally. It can strengthen our communion with God, and it actually changes things circumstantially in the world. One famous quote from a Christian says, when I pray, coincidences happen, and when I don't, they don't. Right? You, you know what that means, right? You can always explain it away. Oh, it's going to happen anyway. Oh, really? <laughs> We're way too skeptical. The Lord really does, He really does answer our prayers, and our prayers really make a difference. James 5.16, you don't have to turn to these just yet. You know this prayer? The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then in case J James, you know, Jesus is half-brother. James says, in case you doubt me on this, let me give you an illustration. Elijah, that great prophet, Elijah was a man with a like nature as ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore fruit. Now, listen, James says, Elijah, and you know what we all think? Yeah, that's Elijah. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. I am I feel like a nobody. I'm not Elijah. And you know, James knows everyone reading this letter is going to think, I'm not Elijah. I'm not an Old Testament prophet. I don't go up on Mount Carmel and call down fire from heaven. That's not something I've ever done before. I'm not in that same ballpark as Elijah. So what does James say? James goes, I know what you're thinking. You're prone to put Elijah in another category. So let me add these words. Elijah, a man with a like nature as ours, prayed fervently. James' whole point is to say, listen, the God Elijah was addressing is the exact same God, the exact same God that you address when you get down on your knees and you pray to God. That is an amazing thought, is it not? The same God Elijah addressed is the very same God who loves you and will answer your prayer. That is an astonishing invitation to pray. When Jerusalem was surrounded by Sennacherib's army, a great scene in Isaiah 37. There's no way out for Israel. The superpower of the day, the Assyrian army is going to come and destroy Israel. They've already destroyed everybody else. They're going to come destroy Jerusalem. Remember this scene? So Hezekiah, what does he do? He takes the letter that says, we're going to destroy you. We're going to kill all of you. Takes the letter from Sennacherib and he goes into the temple. Remember this? Hezekiah lays the letter down before the Lord and he prayed to the Lord. One man praying to the Lord with an impossible enemy outside. And you know what the Lord says? The Lord says, because you have prayed, I'm going to save you. And you remember this amazing verse, verse 36. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, there were all the dead bodies. In one night, the prayer of a few people led to an overturn of an evil army. It is an amazing thing, the power of prayer. Now, I've got five points today. We're in trouble. We've got five points today. We're going to try to move with decent speed uh, through these points. Point number one, we should not ask 
Now, this may sound so obvious, but it's an important point. First point, we should not ask for an idol. And you say, well, obviously. But let me explain why this may not be as obvious as it sounds. So, how should we be asking? What are we asking for? How do we ask? That's sort of what we're getting at in this message. Number one, we should not ask for an idol. And you say, well, that's obvious. Well, just look back at verse 33 of chapter 6 of Matthew. Lord willing, this will be in the sermon for next Sunday, but I'll just say briefly, Matthew 6, 33, but seek, it's the same word later for seek, and you will find, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, these earthly, worldly things, will be added to you. You see, Jesus is saying, listen, in our seeking before God, our number one priority should be the kingdom of God and His righteousness. God is at the top of our priorities when we come and we are asking and seeking and knocking. God must be supreme. And let me just get you to turn real quick to the book of James, to chapter 4 of James. Near the back of your New Testament, James chapter 4. Look at James chapter 4, verses 2 and through 4. I'll start in verse 1, actually. Let's James 4, 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your passions, your, your desires for evil things are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, do you see here, look at at verse 3 again. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you see here? There is a way to ask in prayer where the goal is not ultimately to know God. The goal is ultimately something else that I'm worshiping. And I'm actually asking God to give me my idol. Do you see that in this passage? You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? In other words, the idea is don't go in our, we should not go in our prayers to God begging God for our idols to be given of whatever it might be. No, we should ultimately make our goal to know more of God when we go before Him. An example, you can turn back to Matthew 7. An example in the New Testament comes in Matthew 20. Do you remember, do you remember this story? James and John and their, their mom, comes to Je- they come to Jesus. They send their mom to go talk to Jesus. They say, Mom, why don't you take care of this for us? And uh, the mom goes to Jesus and says, uh, Lord, can you give us whatever we want? A dangerous question, is it not? And Jesus says, well, what, what, are you, what are you asking for? And then she says, she said to Jesus, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus says, you do not know what you are asking. And then he says, to sit at my right or left hand is not mine to grant. In other words, she had made her selfish ambition for her children, her prayer request. And she says, Jesus can my sons be ranked number one and two in the kingdom? 
Can you put them in your first and second rank, please? And her desire was not coming out of a love for the Lord. It was coming out of ambition. And Jesus says, you don't know what you are asking for. And then uh, he says, it is not mine to grant. So when we pray, we need to examine our hearts. L listen, hear me out on this. When, 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 if I find myself begging the Lord over and over and over for this particular thing over here, I need to sometimes ask, am I misprioritizing this thing? You see what I'm asking here? You see what I'm saying? If, if something over here, not the Lord himself, but some other thing over here becomes the number one prayer request in my heart, and I'm just pleading with the Lord about this one thing, and it becomes the top prayer request in my life, if it is not about knowing and glorifying the Lord ultimately, we need to do self-examination. Are we asking God for an idol? Are we asking God for something else that we are truly worshiping? So we must examine our hearts when we pray. Number two, how should we pray? How should we ask God? Number two, we should ask humbly. A simple and obvious point here from Matthew 7, we should ask humbly. You remember Matthew 6, 8. I've read it several times over these weeks, but Matthew 6, 8 says this, do not be like the Gentiles, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That should inform how we pray. Then look at Matthew 7, 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? If you have children, you, you, you love your children more than you think you can love anyone, you love your children. That does not always mean, does it not, parents in the room, does not always mean that we give our children whatever it is they ask for. You probably didn't have to be a parent to figure that one out, right? You probably just knew that one. Aren't we thankful? I mean, even as a child, aren't you thankful your parents did not give you certain things that you asked for? Or how about put it this way? Are there prayer requests you have pleaded with God for that you are so glad God did not say yes to? You ever had those moments in your life? You look back and you go, Lord, I am so thankful you did not give me a yes to that prayer request. For that, that time, I was begging for this particular thing, and the Lord said no, and I am so glad the Lord said no to me in that regard. So listen, the promise here is not, this is important, that God will give us whatever we ask. That's not what this text is saying. God will give us, it says here, good things, which may not be what we are asking for. I know I've told this story a couple years ago, but I got to tell it again. One pastor was telling this story. So years ago, he had, a, a, he had several sons, but one of his sons was, was maybe three years old. Remember the story? And he, 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 it was snack time. He goes into the kitchen and he pulls out a box of, we all have animal crackers there, right? So there's endless supply. He pulls out the animal cracker box. He flips it open. And he's like, uh-oh, we're low on animal crackers here. So he said, this was like a really old, stale box of animal crackers had been lost in the back of the cupboard or something. He pulls it out, and he pulls the little bag out, and there's only like three or four animal crackers at the bottom, and they had actually, they were growing some kind of mold or something like that. Okay, it was like disgusting, like something green on the actual crackers. And he thought, oh, yes, yeah, son, no, we're going to have to have a change of plans here. Not going to be giving you the animal crackers. And so, what does the three-year-old son do? That the face just starts to melt, and the tears start welling up, and he grabs the dad's pant leg, and uh, according to the dad, he said, Dad, Dad, I'll eat the fuzz, Dad, I'll eat the fuzz, which is a great heartwarming moment there. <laughs> so, I'll eat the fuzz, the three-year-old son says. Now, we all understand that moment when, this, when the father says no, and the father actually has to throw those away, right? And he cannot give them, he, I'll find something else, I'll find something good for you. 
In that moment, the three-year-old does not understand the goodness of his father. In that moment, the three-year-old is questioning with all the emotion that he can you know, get, God, I don't, I, Dad, I don't think you're good. I think you're being cruel. I don't, if you were a good father, you would give me exactly what I'm asking for. But we all know, no, very often not giving what is asked for is actually the good thing. There is something better than what is sometimes asked for. So we must be humble when we come before the Father. You know, Paul famously pleading with the Lord three times that the, that the messenger of Satan that was tormenting him would leave him. And that seems like a pretty reasonable request, right? Lord, a messenger from Satan is harassing me. That's what he says. Lord, please take it away. We don't know what it was. Three times. I mean, Paul, was, Paul says he pleaded three different times. And the Lord's answer was, Paul, I have something better for you. What's better than removing a tormenting spirit? And Jesus' answer is, I'm going to leave the spirit there and I'm going to supply you with grace so that in the weakness that comes through that trial, I'm going to give you the kind of grace that allows you to get through this and to triumph in me, in me being your strength and not ultimately in you. Let me add this. 1 John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence we have towards Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. If we ask anything in accordance with His will, He, hear, he hears us. And let me add one more part of humility here. Again, these are familiar verses I know. Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Do you, do you feel that sometimes? You go to the Lord in prayer of a desperate situation, and you really don't know what the best thing is. I mean, you just don't know. And so you pray that way. You say, Lord, hum humbly, Lord, I don't know what the best thing is to do right now. I don't know. Listen, the Lord does not discount those prayers. In fact, those are honoring to the Lord. We, we come to Him in our weakness. And it says here, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to God's will. I mean, I don't know if this is quite the right way to say it. I want to say this correctly, but it's, it's almost as though our, our groanings, when we don't even know what to pray. You, you ever been there? You just, you're just groaning before the Lord. Like, I don't even know what to pray, Lord, just help. In those moments, it's, it's as though the Spirit translates that into the proper prayer. You know, we, we don't even know what to pray for. We're just groaning before the Lord, and the Holy Spirit sovereignly, perfectly translates these prayers into exactly what we need. He knows God's will, and He prays according to God's will for us even when we do not know how we should pray. So we should always pray humbly. I mean, I don't want to lose the awe of this. God is saying, I am your father. You are my son or daughter. That is the kind of relationship I have with my people. So point number three, how should we ask in prayer? Number three, we should ask for more of God for ourselves and others. We should ask for more of God. You know how the, the Gospels will sometimes have parallel accounts of the same story, or at least similar accounts of the same story? So let me, let me just mention this one. This one is so good. In Luke 11, there's a parallel of this same passage, and, and Luke, Luke gives us, and Jesus probably told this sermon multiple, multiple times and may have used different wording at different times, but Luke, the version Luke gives us, it's amazing. It's the exact same verse, except he changes one phrase. So instead of saying, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? Luke has a different statement. Listen to this. Luke 11, verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? 
That, that I've, I've told you this before, that, that's, that's been a favorite verse of my own in prayer over the last probably five years or so. That verse has meant so much to me. I mean, the last time I did this specific thing was months and months ago, but I can, I can tell you about one account of this I can remember. Feeling spiritually absolutely dry, just feeling dead spiritually, just feeling like there's just nothing. There's just numbness. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. What do you do when that happens to you? you we, we've got to know what to do when that happens. That's, that's going to happen pretty regularly, right? So, so you have those moments where you don't feel like you want to do these things. So I can remember multiple times these kinds of moments Take, going to Luke, thir- Luke 11, that passage, going to verse 13, and actually turning that verse into prayer and basically saying this, something like this to God. God, I mean, it's so simple, but I just say, God, you have inspired your word. You've inspired your word. These are not my words. And your word says, your word, God, that you have given me, your word says, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I say something like this. It's not magic. I say, Lord, I feel so dry. I feel so numb. I, my joy does not seem to exist right now. I feel miserable in my sin right now. Just I feel miserable. God, you have promised me by your own words that if I ask you in Jesus' name for the Holy Spirit, that you will give the Holy Spirit to me. What an amazing thing that Scripture says. And I can tell you multiple times in my life when I have pleaded that very prayer, wrestling with God in those moments, God does pour out by His grace His presence. He does. God is not begrudging in this. The Lord delights to pour out His Spirit. Here's the question, and I'm being serious here, and I convict myself as much as I convict anybody. How passionately are we doing this? It's like you have a limitless supply of God through His Spirit available to you right here and right now. How zealously are we pursuing it versus the other things in our lives? I mean, I could lose sleep over other stuff that doesn't matter, and yet the pursuit of God can dwindle at times in a shameful way. But the Lord is not begrudging. He is lavish in pouring out His Spirit. He wants to do that. How much do we want that from our Lord? Jeremiah 29, most of us know Jeremiah 29, 11. How about the very next verse? Jeremiah 29, 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now listen, if you're not a believer and you, you, you are listening right now, first of all, I am delighted that you are here. But if you're not a believer, I want you to know full forgiveness of sin is available to you for free right now because Jesus paid on the cross the debt for the sin of all who will ever turn and trust in Christ. And right now, there is a limitless supply of transformation and forgiveness sitting here on a table, like a feast, a banqueting feast sitting here for a starving soul. All you have to do is want it, and it's yours. All you have to do is say, Lord, I need you. Please, I want you. Call on him while he may be found. Seek him while he is near, and he will abundantly pardon because he has great compassion. You know the reason God gives? God always gives reasons, right? He gives a reason for why He will abundantly pardon anyone no matter what they have done. The very next verse, this is Isaiah 55, 8. For, here's the ground, here's the reason why God will abundantly pardon. For, because my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, 
and my thoughts than your thoughts. You hear what God's saying? I'm not like people. People have limits. You sin enough against somebody, they turn you off. They cast you out. It's over. God says, if you will repent, I will forgive any sin. I will forgive all sin. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I am so far above, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He is more loving than you imagine if you will come to him in Christ. Jesus speaking to the woman at the well in John 4.10. What a beautiful scene, right? This woman with five failed marriages, including no doubt adultery, probably unlawful divorce, and now she's living with a man she's not married to. This woman is a sexually broken person. What does Jesus say to her? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is next to a broken person and says, listen, all you've got to do is ask and I will give you living water. Now, she misunderstands what he means, but by the end of the story, she gets it. She absolutely understands what Jesus is offering her, which is new life in himself. Now, let's move to point number four. How should we ask? We should ask, we should ask for the salvation and sanctification of others. We should ask God for the salvation and sanctification of others. If you're in Matthew 7 right now, just skip down a verse or two to verse 13 and 14. Look at verse 13, Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Do you think, listen, seriously, do you think in the context of ask, seek, and knock, Jesus in no way is thinking about praying for other people's salvation when two verses later he says the way is narrow and there are few who find it? In other words, what's the meaning? Plead with the Lord that more would come in. Plead with the Lord that more people would come in. Do you have close friends, family, co-workers, students sitting next to you at class, whoever it may be, that you know don't know the Lord. I mean, it, it is shameful. I, I thought this again the other day. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about final judgment. Remember the last couple months, it's come up about death and judgment has come up in several passages. So I've been thinking about that more than usual, and it's been good to do that. But, you know, I, I, to my shame, I still think one of the most embarrassing and shameful parts of final judgment for me is the idea of how little I passionately prayed for the spiritual good of others. I am ashamed. If, if you knew my failure at times in this area, it would be shameful. The Lord is saying, come and ask. Don't refrain for the salvation of others. 1 John 5, 16. If anyone sees his brother committing sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. Romans 10, 1. Brothers, Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Or how about sanctification, growing in Christ's likeness? I mean, the whole sermon is about sanctification. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount is all about growing in righteousness. We should pray that this sermon would be true not just for us, but for others that we care about and love. Praying it not self-righteously, praying it urgently though and humbly and saying, God, please help this person to grow and help this person to grow. Help this person to be more convicted of sin and more humbled by your truth and more in love with your gospel. 
Let's move to the last point, point number five. How should we ask? We should ask the Lord persistently. And now I want to ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 11, a passage I mentioned earlier, Luke chapter 11, two books to your right. Luke chapter 11, look at verse 5. Let me just make a point here before I read this passage. Uh, Don Carson, along with other commentators, point out this, and you can't see this as easily in English, but this is what Greek uh, scholars say. The phrase when Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, Don Carson says, so these are, these are imperatives, commands, ask, seek, and knock. The imperatives are emphatic and in the present tense. In other words, they mean keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. In other words, the, the commands are in the emphatic present. In other words, continuously do these things until the answer is given, the door is opened. Okay, that's important. It's not a one-time thing. It's a, it's a continuous thing. And Jesus makes that point abundantly clear in Luke 11, starting in verse 5. What, what, this is a great passage, Luke 11, 5. And this is right after the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11. Jesus said to them, verse 5, which of you who has a friend, uh, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or persistence. Because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And look at the very next verse. And I tell you, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Do you see it? The, the, the ask and seek and knock comes in the context of persistence. This man goes to his neighbor at midnight. That's not what you want to hear at midnight, is it? You're like, oh no. Did I, did I, am I dreaming right now? You hear and you're like, oh, no, okay. Yeah, yes, they, they probably had like one-room homes at the time, so you could definitely, everyone's in, everyone's in the same kind of huge bed there, and they, yes, who is it? Uh, it's, it's me from next door. I, I was afraid it might be. Uh, yes, what do you, what do you want? Is it, what time is it? Uh, it's a, don't worry about it. So I just had a friend come in from out of town, and I need some extra, I need some food to make them. Uh, guys, I, I'm asleep. My kids are all asleep in bed. I'm, I'm gonna wake up the whole family. Please go away. I'll talk to you later. At that point, you're like, okay, okay. Finally, this man has no choice. He doesn't want to get up. He's begrudging, this guy is. But finally, despite that, he gets up at midnight, wakes his whole family up, and gets the food to his neighbor, and the man goes. Why did the neighbor win that little argument? Impudence, persistence. He did not give up. And here's Jesus' point. God the Father is not an irritable neighbor asleep at midnight that you have to drag out of bed. God the Father is a loving Father who wants to lavish gifts on you. If the neighbor is won by persistence, how much more your heavenly Father will be won by persistence? Listen, the things that you are praying about, like the spiritual good of others and the salvation of others, I say this a couple months ago, I say it again, do not lose heart. Keep knocking on that door. You feel like nothing's happening on the other side. Keep knocking on the door. Keep on knocking. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Do not give up until... There is absolutely no hope. We plead and pray with the Lord until the door opens in His good timing. And so we must seek and ask and knock with persistency. You can turn back to Matthew 7. Let, let me read an extended quote from Don Carson on the same part here. L listen to these words. Don Carson writes this, quote, 
Persistence is required. But persistence in what? The answer is persistence in prayer. Not prayer envisaged as an occasional pious request for some isolated blessing, but in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, prayer that is a burning pursuit of God. This is an asking for the virtues Jesus has just expounded. This, is, this seeking is a seeking for God. This knocking is a knocking at heaven's throne room. It is a divinely empowered response to God's open invitation that you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The kingdom of heaven requires poverty of spirit, purity of heart, truth, compassion, a non-retaliatory spirit, forgiving our enemies, a life of integrity, and we lack all of these things by nature. Then let us ask for them. Are you as holy, as meek, as truthful, as loving, as pure, as obedient to God as you would like to be? Then ask Him for grace and these, that these virtues may multiply in your life. Back in the year, I think it was 2006, there was a conference in Kentucky. There was a whole bunch of pastors there. And I remember John Piper uh, had just turned 60 at this conference because he talked about that. Just turned 60 years old, 2006, and he, he looked out in a room of mostly 20-something and 30-something young guys, a lot of them aspiring to be pastors. And I, this is burned into my memory. I've seen this on video a number of times, listened to it a number of times. But to, to paraphrase, John Piper basically said this. He, look, he looks at it, he goes, this room, there's so many people who are so young, he said. He said, I'm 60. He yells it out. I'm 60. He said, some of you, he said, are you willing to so walk with God every morning of your life and every evening pleading with the Lord, make me more humble, make me more loving, make me more sacrificial, make me more gracious, make me more joyful, give me more peace, help me win more battles with anxiety and lust and pride. God, please help me. He said, will God not hear his elect if we go to him day and night with our, with our, with our issues? Just daily. He said, some of you got 30 years to become something, you know, to, to so grow in godliness by that daily pleading with God that the Lord changes us in dramatic ways. And you'll look back. I mean, this is probably already true for many of you. You look back on five years, 10 years, 20 years, some of you longer, and you say, the Lord really has brought me. I mean, I'm not where I need to be. I've got all kinds of sin struggles. But the Lord really has brought me along, and there has been advance in my life. And by God's grace, there has been growth, and I am thankful for that. Now, let me wrap up and conclude on this point. In, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed. He fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I heard one pastor say that, let me quote this. We know that God is not only loving, but also holy and just. How can He shower blessings down on sinful people who deserve the opposite? The answer is that Jesus got the scorpion and the snake so that we could have food at the Father's table. He received the sting and venom of death in our place. We know that God will answer us when we call, my God, because God did not answer Jesus when He made a similar petition on the cross. For Jesus, the heavens were as brass. He got the great silence so that we could know that God hears and answers. Let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, it is a tremendous comfort 
for the struggling Christian to know that there was a time in which you prayed to heaven and your prayer was not answered with an immediate yes when you said, remove this cup from me. But you added those words, yet not my will, but yours be done. It is an amazing thing that Jesus in his humanity knew what that experience was like. God, I pray that we would come with boldness before your throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and help in our time of need. You will not give a stone for bread. You will not give a scorpion for an egg and other kinds of things. You will not give a, a snake in place of a fish. Lord, it is because you love us in Christ. You've chosen us in Christ. You've redeemed us in Christ. You've adopted us in Christ. It's because of our status in Christ that we have great confidence that you will always give us what is good, no matter what we ask. And we know ultimately we should ask for the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift of all, which is you personally dwelling with us in our heart even now as a down payment of our inheritance to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.